I think the box office is quite pathetic. That's just me. <laughs> I mean, 20, 28 and 23, respectively, or is it 25? Let me see. Yep, well, 28 and 23. Based on the amount of advertising that they've done for both Night School and Smallfoot. I mean, two movies that will achieve legendary status, I think, in years to come. Well, here's the thing. I've noticed, uh, this is how I, like, it's not until, like, maybe 10 years ago I appreciated just how concentrated uh, advertising is. I've seen no advertising to Smallfoot, but again, I am not a small child, so I, would, I have not seen I'm surprised, because, I mean, now it's now it's launched into into uh, memedom, but everywhere oh, in Los oh, Angeles right. you see those posters saying that Channing Tatum is Migu, um, Common mm-hmm. is Stonekeeper, and of course, famously, <laughs> I don't know if you've heard this or not, Zendaya is Michi. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because some guy from like... That Big... won't get old, I know. <laughs> <laughs> because some guy from like Big Brother sang it, I don't know where that guy's from. <laughs> I, I think I think he's a comedian. I okay. think he generally did it as, as a joke. I don't, I don't know, who cares? Like, it'll, be, it'll be out of our minds in like 48 hours, or we'll think it's old and crappy. Uh, I'm so old. Recently I was hearing some young people use extra. Like I'm so extra. Like, like what? <laughs> yes. Now did it's you a... confront them and, and yes, grab them, grab them by the lapels. I'm just assuming kids still wear lapels. <laughs> Today in so Johnny what are you Greg doing? What's old. the meaning of this? <laughs> so extra is now like a catch-all um, adjective for someone who works too hard or who uh, overachieves. That's now that's like <laughs> <laughs> you're saying. Kids in Southern California said this. Yes, exactly. <laughs> They weren't like kids. They were like 21 years old. They're like 21, 22. I, that makes it even worse. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, granted, we live in the 21st century now. People don't have to grow up anymore. Actually, I will give it up to the 21-year-old who was now expected to work five internships and <laughs> have eight years of experience before they even get their entry-level job. So, are you saying give, that I will give them credit for that? Are you saying that that's why they want to like uh, be you know perpetuate their adolescence forever? Is because they're under so much uh, stress maybe. nowadays? Because the world feels like it's going to end any moment. Uh, no, I, I won't say the world won't end at any moment. It's more like it's slowly dying, and oh. therefore we're trying to achieve a level of unsustainable growth um, because of our late capitalist system that eventually will topple over, and um, I will help turn the world upside down. Okay. So. People, rest assured, your humble podcast host is in favor of the workers um, seizing the means of production and, again, th- turning the world upside down and throwing all those fat cats into a thresher and have their have their tough, have their um, old bones turned into soylent for us. Aww. Yeah, they're the ones that should go first, really. Such a, These such gargoyles. A... <laughs> I think it's an achievable dream, Greg. Okay, the important thing is just keep on dreaming, okay? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Again, reach for the stars. Yes, the stars. Mm-hmm. You can achieve anything. Hey, wait a minute. <gasps> is that related to the movie we're talking about this week? You're welcome. You're welcome, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because in honor of the new Bradley Cooper-directed Lady Gaga-starring film, we decided to watch... A star is born. Before you lies the most glamorous city on earth, Hollywood, California. But not just A Star is Born. We watched all three versions of A Star is Born. Before you lies the most glamorous city on earth. I have to say it like that. I can't say it any other way. <laughs> no. This movie's perpetually being remade. <laughs> In fact, I, I want to lead off with this bit of trivia. Mm-hmm. It's possible that the very first uh, A Star is Born, mm-hmm. uh, released in 1937, isn't even the first version of A Star is Born. <laughs> Because apparently it aped the story of a movie called What Price Hollywood, mm-hmm. which granted awful title. No wonder it never, <laughs> no wonder that movie never took off. But I, it follows basically the same outline, which is um, surprising because I kind of knew of this story, but I couldn't tell you any specifics. I just know it's about a guy on the downward trajectory of his career mm-hmm. meets a young ingenue on on her on an upswing and um they meet in the middle and eventually she uh, arises to stardom while he uh, commits suicide eventually ultimately uh, ambiguous ambiguous uh, that's true that's true for at least one of them um i think two of the two of the three films we watched this week do make it quite clear that was his intention but there's one that that leaves it a little ambiguous 
but I guess we'll talk about it. the way I wanted to discuss these three movies is basically just go through plot point by plot point and see how each one deals with it specifically. I don't know if you have a disagreement on that, but that's how no, I, I mean, would like we to can do, do that. Yeah. I I will say that does lead into a very important piece of advice that I have for folks out there. Mm-hmm. If you are going to do this, um, <laughs> do not watch the same movie essentially three times in a row because um, I got very bored very quickly. Yeah, uh, especially um, with the first two. The first two legit are pretty much the same exact movie um i wouldn't say i'd say the 1954 version is less of a remake and more of a refinement because it's almost like word for word oh, exact I, same movie <laughs> but funny you say refinement i'm thinking of refinement in the um oh what's that terrible show on on hgtv where they take bad old furniture and make new bad furniture excuse me that's what the that's what the 54 version felt like to me. how but dare guess, you flea market we'll flip is the greatest television show you can experience <laughs> today all right all the daytime Emmys. All the daytime Emmys. <laughs> so, okay, well, we might have some agreement on disagreement on <laughs> Flea Market Flip, but I don't think we'll have any disagreements on the quality of the uh, Judy Garland starring version. Well, no, it's really the say. best one. It's the best one in my head. I think the Judy Garland <laughs> Let's one. get there. Okay. Let's get there. Okay. Right. Again, let's get to specifics, because this feels like an, an American myth. Um, again, America only has a very few uh, art forms that it can call its own. Jazz comic books and how a star is born <laughs> wherein somebody is plucked from obscurity zero experience and can, can become an instant celebrity exactly um outside of royalty literally this is how it happens mm-hmm. um we start the very first uh, oddly enough the very first not oddly enough um, <laughs> the very first a star is born focuses on that young ingenue mm-hmm. who dreams of hollywood stardom mm-hmm. uh, she lives in north dakota her parents are very disapproving well her old sorry she um she's an orphan i believe and it's her aunt who's very disapproving she goes to the movies every day with her with her uh, bratty little brother <laughs> and um <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think the problem with the first one, the 1937 version, is that it has too many like comic side characters, like little goofy asides to be like, oh boy, too, too many. <laughs> yeah, too many. <laughs> okay, well maybe in this first scene, I I do think it, d- it does a good job of establishing who these characters are, and I I wish it kind of brought them back rather <laughs> instead just <laughs> reserving them for this one scene. Well, it does bring one of the characters back at the end. I believe it's her grandma who yes, eventually does grandma come back. who. Yeah. It's a grandma who encourages her and enables her via just a, a little gift to actually get on the train to go out to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny that you mentioned that because I think I prefer the other versions later that just kind of like jump right in and show Esther is her name. By the way, we should just mention that uh, yeah, in all three is, versions, uh, her name is Esther. Yeah, Esther Blotchett for the first two versions. Esther Johnson or something like that for the third. Anyway, it's Esther a, it's Hoffman. A less, oh, Esther Hoffman. It's a less it's a less um, old fashioned name. I'm glad they did update it for the 70s. <laughs> it doesn't matter what her name is because it's going to change eventually. <laughs> so yes, it, it has to. Well, hers doesn't, but <laughs> so, again, maybe that's that's another important theme: uh, identity. You know yeah. what? What price Hollywood? Question mark. <laughs> what, what does it do to us? Well, I think that's ultimately the weird thing about this story is the fact mm-hmm. that it's kind of. It's treading that weird La La Land territory where it's, it, it wants to show like, oh, Hollywood's not all it's cracked up to be. You got to work hard. It's a lot of rejection, but also it's a dream factory. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it, it is towing this line between trying to be a dark, realistic version of Hollywood. Like, oh, you got to pay your dues. And, mm-hmm. You know, celebrity. It can cost you. It can cost you the price of yeah. your identity. Or your you're soul. a commodity. Is... You're not a real person. Yeah. <laughs> they throw yes. you out as soon as they're done with you. But also, your yeah. dreams come true here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it also wants to deliver an affirmative, happy ending. Mm-hmm. Um, even though the way <laughs> the way the uh, plot eventually traverses doesn't doesn't ex- doesn't exactly um, comport to that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but I kind of appreciate that the uh, 54 version and the 76 version kind of just drop us right in and they're already kind of doing the work um and no, I, when you say drop us right in the problem is it's centered on the other half of our story which is the aging star in this case uh named norman Maine in the earlier versions and jackson Maine in, in the latter one mm-hmm. um but i uh, but what i like about that is jackson also jackson Maine. No. no you're way off <laughs> no no no. that's that's the new one actually that's the one bradley cooper's playing <laughs> okay no it's john norman howard so John they kept, Norman, they kept uh, yeah. the Howard, but or they kept the uh, Norman, not Norman, the main. Yeah, yeah. Um, got it. But no, I like I like the fact that in the 1954 version and the 1976 version, they're already doing the, they're already paying their dues, and it seems like this is enough for them. They don't really have any higher ambitions. Wait, sorry, when you say paying their dues, you mean the the actresses? 
Yeah, or the singers. They're singing. Singers. Okay, I yeah. thought we were still talking about the the guys, but no, no, no. We're talking about the no, we're talking about the ladies. Um, yeah. I don't really, I don't, I didn't really relate to the first one because it's like she she comes right in with this dream of being a star. Wait, you didn't relate to that? No, I don't like that at all because it makes what her do you seem mean? it makes her seem vain. The fact she's like, I'm going to be Hollywood, and I'm going to be in pictures. It's like, she already has like this relatable. She's starting from the bottom. No, yeah. Well, I assume it's assumed that Judy Garland and uh, Barbara Streisand also started from the bottom. But the fact is, they don't have any (laughs) higher ambitions. They're performing for crowds. I mean, Judy Garland is playing at a benefit. Yeah, but they're not stars. They're not stars. I know, but they're they're like midway there, which I couldn't I couldn't quite identify with or or really appreciate. Um, Whereas you know the young Esther Blotchett, um, played by Janet Gaynor in the original version, she I could identify with and sympathize with more um, because she is um, denigrated by her aunt. And again, starting from the from the very baseline. And to see that ascension, granted, it is very quick over the course of a two-hour movie. Mm-hmm. But at least that I could identify and appreciate with. Whereas the, the problem is that um, in the other two versions where um, she's played by Judy Garland and Barbara Streisand, mm-hmm. I feel like she's already there, and she's already content in a way. I think like that's they great. Both are, they I think both that's are like mid-level performers that should be very happy with where they are in their career. That's so what I I'm can, saying. That's I can what... understand this choice to like <laughs> fall in love with this old alcoholic man and pursue stardom in that way. But Whereas that's the, what I thought. The young, was... the young naive girl, I could understand that. No, no. That's what makes it more interesting, the fact that they are perfectly content just playing to these small crowds and that they don't really need any more than that. And it's kind of this alcoholic guy on the fall his career is kind of slowly dying he's like oh i gotta raise you up now and you know it's not really her choice like that's what i think is more interesting than just like you know in the original it's just like i'm gonna be a star i'm gonna be in movies i'm gonna be famous and it's like no you should do it because you love the craft where's the love of the craft well, she obviously loves movies. She goes to the movies every day. Yeah, but you so don't get the she same. Does admire, she does admire the art form in that way. I, I'm not sure what you're getting this vanity that like I'm going to be in. I'm going to be a star. Um, <laughs> that she's motivated purely out of um, out of money or fame. I think that's I totally. That yeah, I totally got that from the first one because at okay. least from the next two, it feels like they're doing it more for the love of the art instead of you know I want to be famous. Okay. Well, Obviously, also... that's what everyone kind of secretly aspires to, but it's nice to know that they kind of come from more of an outsider's perspective. In the kind of you know when when he uh, Norman finally meets Judy Garland in the nineteen fifty four version, what is she doing? She's not even playing for anybody. They're just doing like an after hours thing, playing for what they want to play. Yeah, but before, prior to that, mm-hmm. <laughs> she's in front. She's at the Shrine Auditorium playing before a crowd of thousands. Okay, fine. So, like, I would be again perfectly content with that. So, I don't see her motivation, or like you said, like I thought in a story, we do want characters to show agency and make difficult choices. Here, the in the latter two versions, she's just whisked away, um, <laughs> and she has no choice in in terms of where she goes next in the story. But don't come to see A Star is Born expecting to find a Cinderella story or a glorification of motion pictures. Instead, you will be shocked by the price that must be paid in heartbreak and tears for every moment of triumph in Hollywood. What I'm here to find out is do I get them or do I get them? Unforgettable scenes of drama, intimate secrets in the lives of the great, bold revelations of how screen careers are ruined come to light in Selznick International's Technicolor production, A Star is Born. The rich human interest story of Hollywood is filled with happiness and despair, joy and tragedy, a crazy quilt of madness, sanity, laughter and tears. She she just kind of dragged through the nose in all versions. I think that's kind of the point. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, let's let's get to the introduction of that of that old that aging star. Yes, that old curmudgeon, that old drunk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Norman Maine for the first two versions, and then uh, Norman Howard for the '76 uh, version. I feel like this is where we hit another big snag with the story, in that this guy is a complete creep and unlikable. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> especially in the first version, because in the first version we're first introduced to him literally punching somebody in a crowd. <laughs> Like a paparazzi, like I forget the exact scenario, but it's like she sees him across the way in a movie theater, and it's like someone approaches him and he just punches him in the face because he's a belligerent drunk. Yeah, he he's introduced like literally stumbling into a performance at the Hollywood Bowl in public, mm-hmm. like acting out violently and being a nuisance. Um, yeah, exactly. And I th- I was hoping that that's from the very first version of the story, and I was hoping the 1954 version of the of the movie would uh, improve on that, mm-hmm. and it, and it turns out. It's 
it does it worse. <laughs> he shows up oh, to really? a benefit concert. Oh, I yes, thought it was better. Yes, he shows up to a, I thought a it was benefit better. concert. No, 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 because he's he doesn't act out violently yet. <laughs> okay. But instead, what he is is handsy, um, <laughs> because he starts like uh, like put his hands all over the the actor um, who plays Norman Maine in the '54 version. Mm-hmm. Um, he's actually a British man, which I'll also get to. Mm-hmm. Um, played by James Mason. And he's like creeping on the dancers and um, just being completely disruptive to this very big and very important show. Yeah, and I thought it just it just made every like every unlikable quality about his introduction in the first movie like ten times worse. Mm, I no, I disagree. I think he's he's much more likable in the '54 version, uh, played by James Mason, like you said. And it's because I think it's played more for laughs this initial scene when he's like goofy. And you're you're right. He's much more of a to- a playboy in the second one because also when he goes out looking for Judy Garland's character, you know, he goes to this club and is like, not a lot of fish biting today. You know, it's like this guy, this yeah, the host he, is yeah, like, he like meets with a pimp. Who's <laughs> like, well, I've got like 10 other girls you can meet up if you need to, if you need to tame some strange. Yes, but, but who does he pick, Greg? He picks Judy Garland. He wants that Esther. He wants that no, Esther. It, yeah. When, when did you find it so lighthearted when he was a predator, a creep, oh. <laughs> um, disruptive? <laughs> And then violent. I don't know. I think... He, uh, which, which part of these did you like more? I mean, it's better than an angry, belligerent drunk who, like, yells at his That's wife. That's true. He's not solely belligerent, but no, it's all the other qualities that just made it worse. Like, I'd, I'd like it more if he was just belligerent rather than... <laughs> well, Frederick Marsh definitely plays him belligerent, and so does Chris... Chris yeah, Chris Christopherson in the 19th... Well, at least... Yeah, at least in the 76 version. Um, now we're moving away from golden era, you know, classic Hollywood to prog rock <laughs> and at least in that version you can kind of justify because he's a rock star so oh, you can yeah. kind of understand that behavior um when he's being rebellious like uh driving a motorcycle on stage or mm-hmm. you know being exhausted and can't can't remember the words to or excuse me can't remember the lyrics to a song yeah he comes off as a lot more jaded than the first two where it's like mm-hmm. the the first two norman maine he stops getting work because he's old and he's just not drawing the crowds as he used to it's like here he's still kind of drawing the crowds he's just kind of like over it it's not bringing him happiness anymore there's no there's no thrill of it anymore and i think that's part of the point what you're missing is again the love of the craft the artwork and you know he's not interested in doing this kind of work anymore but he can't in the last one uh, the 1976 version, he can't make the kind of artwork he wants to do. He's forced into this box because he's popular and the producers want him to continue making the same work that he's doing. So he's tired. He rebels. He drives around. He acts recklessly because he has no other outlet. Well, he's also an alcoholic. Yeah, I guess I guess that's, yes, that's the important factor in all three movies. He's an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So you obviously, you're viewing it in a different manner in which it's about pe- the people doing work exactly it's, <laughs> it's about, about the people, work um doing the doing the craft of their 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 uh, art um, mm-hmm. the the, cra- the craft of either movie making or uh prog rock but <laughs> but uh so let's let's get into that now mm-hmm. um following following a performance by this lady in the case uh in the case of the original one he just it's a kind of love at first sight he just catches a glance at her first at the hollywood bowl mm-hmm. but then she's working um at the at this um little social club and um trying on different voices as an audition <laughs> for that that's the you know that that's kind, that kind of fun of, you know yeah that kind of and also you know pokes holes in your theory that she's just being vain vainglorious and well also it shows that she's not very good either (laughs) like no she has no experience you're right at least judy garland and barbara streisand it's like the first demonstration is of their talent that is first and foremost and then we have yeah in the 1937 version we got uh janet gaynor who's just like i'm an actress look at me (laughs) i guess that's the other problem with the first one is that there's no singing I just, <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's something that the latter three, now the even the Bradley Cooper directed version has mm-hmm. added a more performative aspect. Or, exactly. Whereas you know in movie making, that's that's a very boring, repetitive process, <laughs> like doing take after take. You know, exactly. Not not very compelling from from a movie standpoint. Well, so, you also don't get those huge like applauses, which you would you know get out of the uh, next two versions yeah, or all the versions. It needs to be yeah, it needs to be immediately successful because. Um, I, I, another key plot point is that he is taken by her, mm-hmm. whether it's during a performance or again sight unseen, and he does want to enable her career. Mm-hmm. However, um, it doesn't happen right away in the '54 version and the '76 version. Instead, they split up, mm-hmm. and he's got to search for her, and uh, her life gets worse as a result. <laughs> <laughs> 
and this is a, this is a particular problem in the version that we saw of the 1954 remake. Yeah, so this movie, the 1954 version, has apparently been cut to ribbons. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. the director wanted the longer version, the studio wanted the shorter version, and so a lot of the kind of midpoint footage has been lost. So uh, the only like but they did, yeah, but I think with the help of. Um, Judy Garland's daughter, Liza Minnelli, um, <laughs> who desperately wanted to restore the A Star is Born, this version that her mother performed in, mm-hmm. they did find the soundtrack yeah, for so, the three-hour version. But they only have they stills find... for a lot of missing scenes, so it's a yeah. lot of Ken Burns' effect, unfortunately, for the middle act of the movie. <laughs> yeah, which you and I never talk about a movie before we start recording the podcast, mm-hmm. but even this time, you were like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> Yeah, and so I had to look up the trivia, and yes, a lot of the footage is missing, and that's why they had to replace it with just production stills, unfortunately. Yes. Um, And I will also side with the producers, because all those scenes are utterly superfluous. (laughs) Yes. Okay, but I, I, yes, agree that those scenes are definitely superfluous, and thank God they were lost. But also, Mm -hmm. I don't know, all three movies, it just feels like such a whirlwind. Like, this story can't be captured in less than two hours. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's one problem maybe as a as a movie um, <laughs> is that within a two-hour running time it, it you know success and stardom doesn't happen that immediately and unfortunately the story kind of forces it to exactly and love uh, um because the other important oh, scene that too yeah. in all three movies is they have a joking like kind of uh ironic like marriage proposal uh, mm-hmm. In the 1976 version, it's actually Barbara Streisand who's the one who actually asks him to marry her. But in the other two, it's like they, you know, he kind of like goofs, is like, "Why don't you marry me?" And she's like, "Oh, you." He's like, "I'm serious. Let's run off and get married." And they, uh, you know, another important plot point is that they're big celebrities, but they want they want a nice private ceremony, so they just go to city hall, far out in the boonies, and you know, they get away mm-hmm. just in, just before you know the paparazzi finds them or that Hollywood fixa type, you know, that guy, yeah, the, the publicist, <laughs> Libby. <laughs> <laughs> with his fedora and cigar and I uh, made you yeah. a star don't forget where you came yeah. from yeah Libby is a is a prick in the first one <laughs> um, a little more sympathetic in uh, the second one mm-hmm. and uh, played by Gary Busey <laughs> as an enabler in the third one yeah um, exactly which is a, which is a fine performance by Mr. Busey I will I will admit that but well this was before his you know up? car accident so you know his, yeah, his brain it. was still working at least functionally yeah. at that point <laughs> It's it's still working technically, just in a just in a different way, <laughs> in a way more that, unique, the way, way that all talented artists do. <laughs> yes, a star is born, and in its splendor and deep emotional fire, in its shining beauty and wonderful heart, a new era in motion picture achievement is also born. You will see it in the richness and magnificence so lavishly poured into every scene. You will feel it in the countless moments of deep human understanding. You will hear it in the rousing tempo of its great music. And you'll know it when you experience the joy and jubilation of Judy Garland as the star. And you'll never forget James Mason as Norman Maine, clinging desperately to the only real love he'd ever known. There's Jack Carson, Charles Bickford, all bringing inspired life to a story that only life itself could have inspired. But you're right, and I will say that this 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 love story does have to move very quickly mm-hmm. and i'm glad something that the 1976 version really added was them actually collaborating and mm-hmm. creating something together exactly because a major problem with the first two movies like not only do you not buy the love story if if they just you know sight and scene just get married immediately mm-hmm. um but what happens is like he, norman maine only gets her the audition mm-hmm. that launches her to stardom they don't actually work together at all no <laughs> which i was surprised by yeah um Whereas, whereas in this, where in the, is in the '76 version, Chris Christopherson and Barbara Streisand actually do write songs together. Mm. Well, uh, in the first version, they do do a screen test together, but that's pretty much the only point of collaboration, like you mentioned. And I don't think we even really see the scene, so it doesn't really count. <laughs> no. Um, and again, the problem with the first one is again, there's no singing, so you don't get the huge kind of applause breaks. One of the things I really liked about the 1956, uh, uh, 54 version is, mm-hmm. though, that we do get a lot of time with Judy Garland on set. So we do see her putting in the work. And one of the things I love is after every single one of those scenes, it's almost like it's kind of waiting for an applause break, but instead it's just like this cold, hard slap of silence. <laughs> like she'll be bearing her heart on stage, and it's like at the end of the big musical number, you just hear the bell ringing. All right, back to one. <laughs> <And> <laughs> that moment just lands so perfectly. <laughs> I, 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 
I guess. I mean, that, what's what's such a shame is that this movie was released a year after Sing in the Rain, which also kind of takes a, a cynical approach to like, you know, mm-hmm. oh, I was uh, when um, the character in that movie, Don, you know, explains like, I only went to the finest academies. In reality, he was doing crappy vaudeville and selling his dignity mm-hmm. um, just to make ends meet. Four years prior was the ultimate uh, Hollywood story, Sunset Boulevard. Ah, yes. And that is a movie that takes takes a torch to Hollywood mm-hmm. and, you know, is completely cynical about fame and fortune and all that and all the stuff from mass pop culture. Um, so it, it kind of plays this in-between line, which I didn't like. Mm-hmm. Um, also, we should speak to, I think one of the things that has made these movies endure is that they are pretty colorful. Um, th- in fact, A Star is Born in 1937 was one of the first Technicolor movies. Mm-hmm. And the 1954 version was filmed in Cinescope. Ooh. Ooh. Like wide widescreen. <laughs> to compete with television, um, which, was, which was usurping its throne as the, as the uh, conveyance of mass entertainment, of course. <laughs> but one thing that director, one issue that director George uh, Cooker had, one issue that he had, was that they couldn't film close-ups and that they couldn't do a lot of quick cuts. Mm. So... I think that really diminished the kind of quality of every scene outside of the musical numbers because mm-hmm. every scene has to be shown as wide and um, kind of langu- and staged in a very boring long shot. Um, there, are, so. there are a lot of interesting shots, though. Uh, particularly, I like the scenes where uh, Norman Maine is drunk. Uh, it kind of goes low angle, uh, low angle handheld. And it kind of like it's filming him like he's Frankenstein, like he just kind of like stumbles in. I thought I thought those scenes were really well done. I thought there was a lot of beautiful shots in the uh, 1954 version, but I will agree it is definitely the most. Oh, including, including the first the first shots of the movie premiere, mm. or not the movie premiere, the uh, benefit show at the Shrine Auditorium. Mm-hmm. The, that that film stock has survived really well. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> oh, my name's Greg. I'm a technical nerd. Look at how much grain is on the screen. Uh. What exactly. ratio is this? Four three. <laughs> I know, awful, terrible. Get it out of here. I was swept away by the experience, Greg. It's all about the emotions. And what, a, and what an experience it was. You know what took me out of it too? What? That James Mason is a Brit, and this is supposed to be a uniquely American story. Oh, all right. Okay. And Brits don't understand because none of them get plucked out of the, get plucked out of obscurity and go and reach stardom because there is a class ceiling. <laughs> Only the rich kids go to the finest acting schools and then get on stage in the Shakespeare, Royal Shakespeare <gasps> Company, then get into movies and TV. Excuse right, me. Getting plucked from obscurity doesn't happen in the UK. Uh, two words for you, Ed Sheeran. Okay. <laughs> He was a poor kid from Gloucestershire, I assume. I don't know. <laughs> There's only like three towns in Britain, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Including Gloucestershire. <laughs> the, the most notable town. <laughs> it's Gloucestershire, mate. Gloucestershire, mate. Oi! <laughs> Give me I a know. point. Oi. <laughs> a Gloucestershire. <glossy. laughs> okay, let's just get to it. Which version did you like best? Because I think I've made it quite clear. I like the 54 version the best. Well, this is a perfect segue. Because Ooh. I think I liked... I think I like the, in terms of what is the best movie, mm-hmm. the 37 version I think is the best version of this, even though it is just the broad outline and doesn't have any um, texture to it. Because as I said, screenwriters were Neanderthals then and, and didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> but I think the one I liked best just for the audacity of it mm-hmm. was the 76 version. Um, for one thing, there's swears. I guess that's true. <laughs> there are those quick cuts. Mm-hmm. There are those quick cuts. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. <laughs> And I just, and I think the most important part, the costumes. <laughs> no. <laughs> in terms of, in terms of like, okay, what movie is most reflective of its era? <laughs> you only need to look at one frame of the 76 version to be like, oh yeah. <laughs> even the music. That is some, like all the music. Is, is some, even though it's like Chris Christopherson's like hard rocker, like Led Zeppelin era. Yeah. It's like everything Barbara Streisand's doing is like disco. It's the yeah, 70s. It's yeah, there's keyboards and... <laughs> It's it's off it's it's delightfully awful. I will say that I I laughed at it, and but at least it elicited a laugh. Yeah, I guess that's. Ugh, I don't. Yeah, I couldn't. I yeah. no. I mean, the seventy six one for there, me was the uh, worst. There. And again, probably because it felt the most contemporary of its time. And maybe it's because yeah. we're least we're less um, separated from the seventies as we are from the fifties and the thirties. And for me, like that era has a lot more charm than the seventies does, which is just like, oh, it's trying to be mm-hmm. gritty and hard. Like, look, yeah. we shot an actual concert. Look how gorilla style it is. 
uh, there's the yeah the swear words and the drug use again mm-hmm. a little bit off putting. It's not a family friendly movie unlike the other two. Exactly. And yeah, and also that that tasteful. It's also the most laborious too, mm-hmm. um, because it does take its time showing them collaborate and slowly reaching um, stardom. But then there's also a long stretch um, when they first fall in love. Mm-hmm. Um, they make love in a bubble bath. Which is very romantic. <laughs> And then after they elope to the desert, um, Mm -hmm. I believe they get married in Arizona, um, they have a long stretch where they build their dream home together, (laughs) which is a very tasteful uh, Pueblo-style lodge Mm -hmm. out in the middle of the desert. Just gorgeous. Gorgeous. I know. Charming. HGTV. Call that place. Oh, boy. (laughs) Pueblo-style with stained glass windows. I mean, perfect. It seems it does seem like you you kind of hit the point right on the head. The '70s version is trying to be the most different because a no movies mm-hmm. are involved. This one is yeah. all completely about the music, and b in the first two uh, they retreat to a beach home, and in this one they're like, nope, they're retreating to the desert. No water anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> which makes you wonder how we're eventually going to get to that suicide. <laughs> <laughs> Dot, I'll kill you. I ain't never gonna die. Fresh as the morning. Promise? Yeah, promise. I want you. I don't wanna lose you. Okay, so, yeah, we've reached the midway point yes. of the story here. So the next important plot point is the big awards ceremony. So in the first two versions, uh, she uh, Esther eventually wins. Oh, by the way, we forgot to mention, Esther is now going by Vicky in the first two versions. Yeah, yes. she, they change her name. It's like, Esther, that's not going to look good on a, a maquis. It's too Jewy. Uh, let's see. <laughs> hey, don't say that. <laughs> It's too old-fashioned. I mean, even even in the 30s, I think Esther was a little outdated mm-hmm. as a name. It's, I mean, it's, a, it's biblical, for Christ's sake. Um, but, yeah, it, it, again, there's this notion of, like, changing their identity, even though there's no consequence to it. Exactly. Um, they just change her name, and it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, before we get to the award ceremony, she changes her name, and uh, the older, the aging star does fall out of favor with Hollywood and mm-hmm. is forced to go to a sanitarium slash rehab. hmm uh, not so much with the 76 version. He just kind of like goes off for a while or kind of like stays off stage for a while. Well, he goes to their desert retreat. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not like he's forced there's to this, do like, implication. anything. And there's also this implication like uh, the producer, the producer character, who's another major um, <clears throat> another major player in the story, mm-hmm. um, comes to them with an offer. Um, but it's be- but it's beneath them. <laughs> uh, it's a, like a bit part in the in the first two versions of this movie. And then in the 76 version, it's going back to, oh, we're going to go back on tour again, but you're just going to play all the old hits again. You're going yeah. to do, do what they love instead of trying something new. Mm-hmm. And um, he basically he basically lie And the Norm main character has to lie and say, like, no, I've, I've got other offers. No, no, trust me, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> My career has actually never been better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, and that triggers a relapse, which leads to the award show. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's also this weird patriarchal uh, thing underlying theme under all of them which is like the other indignity that the aging rock star has to deal with is the fact that his wife is making the money now like that's also what causes him to drink as well which uh, it's it's kind of weird it's less obviously in the uh, 76 version because you know it was the feminist era but in the 30s and 50s version it's like very much that is an important theme it's like no the man should be making the money now you're a house husband ew gross yeah <laughs> There's another in the first two movies. There's a scene which he's at home and he's taking calls and he's like, "No, I'm not her secretary. I'm her husband." Yeah. So, yeah, there is a there is maybe a little little underlying sexism behind it, but. And uh, after after they win the big award at the big ceremony, who just happens to be there, drunk as a skunk, Norman yeah. Maine. Well, yeah, they're they've gone missing. It's like a four day bender or something. Exactly, and you know, there's a seat saved for them at the ceremony, but obviously they mm-hmm. didn't attend until they actually yeah. win the award. That's when they bust in. It's like, where's my seat? Where are you, honey? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I I love you. Yeah, it's a it's hugely embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say it it definitely does. 
is the most dramatic scene in all these movies. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, no, that's not true. Um, the one scene I do admire from the 54 version, even though most of the movies are repulsive. Um, <laughs> it's not that bad. A, I, no, and then James Mason sucks in the role. Um, <laughs> Judy Garland was old and addicted to barbiturates, um, but she does have a great scene wherein, uh, following this great big performance, like, hey, d- uh, get uh, remove, get rid of that long face and you know, be cheery. She returns to her uh, dressing room and she just lays it out for this producer, like, he's drunk, I don't know what to do, and it's, it is very affecting, mm-hmm. and George Cukor could do that, um, mainly by being a jerk, <laughs> but he could draw <laughs> good performances out of his actresses. Mm. Um, the other thing, too, that's important, an important plot point is the fact that they're so drunk, and, you know, obviously people are trying to, like, get them to sit down and just stop making a scene, and that his yeah. hand waves and he slaps his wife by accident uh, mm-hmm. in the first two versions. I don't think that happens in the third version, though. Uh, no, he knocks her over, because, again, it's pretty dramatic slap and by the 70s the culture had changed i mean no no husband should no husband should have ever lifted a hand to their wife but especially in the 70s that that wasn't going to fly anymore so um instead he kind of falls over and pushes her yeah should be the happiest moment of her life and sadly it's the most embarrassing oh boy and then following that there is i believe actually that's what triggers a rehab of the sanitarium because in the first two versions, there's also a scene at the Santa, Santa Anita Raceway, mm-hmm. um, where it looks like Norman Maine has turned a corner, but he meets uh, Libby, and they get into a fight, and it uh, re-triggers his alcoholism. Exactly. Um, that doesn't happen in the in the 76 version, but um, that's what leads to the four-day... Bi- four bender and then them going to you know like county jail off in some you know east nowhere california (laughs) Mm -hmm. and again it's another moment of embarrassment because the wife has to bail him out and he has to be admonished and he has to be carted away like a child yes and that's i guess showing a little bit more power to the woman um he is sentenced he is supposed to be sentenced to 90 days in jail but you know she she gives this grand speech to the judge and he commutes his sentence Mm -hmm. exactly um, and then I guess we can kind of get to it since there's not really much to say about this, but like, uh, you know, it, it's another moment after this moment, it feels like another time that a corner is going to be turned. It feels, you know, there's a moment between Esther and the producer. It's like, we're going to help him out of this. And Esther kind of, well, the, the producer is pressuring Esther, like, you know, you can't put your career on hold for this. All right. We've got too many projects in the oven. And she's like, no, I have yes. to be here for my husband. And yes. Norman hears this. He overhears this. He pretends like he's sleeping, but he overhears this whole conversation. And he kind of realizes she can't succeed with me being in her life. I'm not getting any better. Mm-hmm. And there's this kind of like nice moment where they share a moment. And it seems like they're turning a corner. And he says, I'm going to go for a swim. This happens in yeah. both the first two versions. Uh, you know, they're at their beach home, and I'm going to go for a swim, and they do yeah. not come back. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's that's what I was surprised by. You can bring a little bit more drama out of that, but mm-hmm. instead they get, they get um, I, I'm assuming, buck naked. <laughs> <laughs> at the beach and then go for a swim and the very next scene is the uh, headline in the newspaper like you know norman Maine drowns or mm-hmm. you know accident question mark exactly or... <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm surprised it cuts straight to that in the 76 version it's it's slightly different because they're out in the desert oh no and, so we need and... like 15 minutes of him driving in the desert <laughs> it's a cool car john it's ferrari all right <laughs> this isn't smoking the bandit okay scenes. we didn't need like 50 <laughs> minutes of him driving the desert like look how fast he's going cool i, I needed more yeah. <laughs> i needed more as a as a top gear uh, grand tour fan okay <laughs> i i wanted more of that all right <laughs> that should have been the last hour of the movie just driving out the hot red ferrari in the desert <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, Jessica Blair's. Um, <laughs> but in this case, it's a it's a car accident, and probably probably could have done better. But yeah, she finds his corpse, <laughs> <laughs> and she cries over it. She gives him one last kiss before they have to be helicoptered yeah. away. Way too yeah. many helicopters in the '70s version. It's just so many helicopters. I, I it's, come on, John. It's it's a it's a hot new thing. <laughs> I mean, how else do you communicate the power of a of a amazing prog rock star <laughs> like John Norman Howard? Huh. <laughs> Very true. Um, I don't know how I feel about this twist. Um, it implies that like alcoholism is impossible to beat, and you're better off dead. Is that really well, I, a good no, encouraging? Not, message? No, not not better off dead. I think, as you said, it's it's meant to be a sacrifice. I think. Mm-hmm. I think the idea is that he will step aside completely um, <laughs> in favor of his wife's career. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think maybe because also. 
that this being earlier in the 20th century, people didn't have a grasp of mental illness or what exactly alcoholism was. Exactly. Um, so again, there's kind of only like one way for the story to end. And I think that's one, th- I think that's one kind of problem I have is that the Norman main character is so uninteresting and doesn't really go through an arc mm-hmm. and it doesn't really communicate that sacrifice. If that's what, if that's what the story considers it to be, it doesn't communicate that well enough. No. And I do think, especially in the last version, it is trying to leave it ambiguous, like whether he intended to kill himself or not. And yeah. even with the, with the first two versions, it's I'm going for a swim. You know, it, it definitely implies that he did intentionally drown himself, but you could also mm-hmm. kind of like chalk it up. Obviously he doesn't want her to know that you know he's killing himself so that she can continue on and have this career um i don't know speaking as a human being though i'd rather have the love of my life than you know success and wealth (laughs) exactly (laughs) and that's the other kind of like problematic thing it's like implying that it's like yes hollywood stardom above all else (laughs) (laughs) i think that was the idea behind the let's say original original version what price hollywood Mm -hmm. is like you know somebody is literally sacking sacrificing themselves at the altar of fame and fortune in hollywood Mm -hmm. um but Again, it doesn't it doesn't communicate that. I know in the '76 version, I, or in the earlier two versions, when he goes out for a swim, the idea is exercise, like he's going to improve his health, mm-hmm. and that's what the big dramatic twist is. In this case, it's he's going to go pick up his producer, and they're going to go talk about the tour. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the big crux on, in the in the '76 remake. Is like, is he? Are they going to tour together? You know, the tour is the main thing. Mm-hmm. And so again, I don't I don't know. The, the problem with it being so ambiguous is that it's not really communicating that it's a sacrifice, and nor is it being uh, really attentive to um, <laughs> the issues of mental illness and addiction, substance abuse. Mm-hmm. So, again, yeah, I, I wish there was another way for maybe the story to go. <laughs> um, <laughs> or that, you know, it just has a, a – maybe there's a better way – to communicate like the the horrors or i don't want to say a cynical way but you know a more honest way to communicate the horrors of um celebrity and fame mm. and fortune because like maybe he could spend the rest of his life in that sanitarium or you yeah. know maybe he can wind up homeless and there's there's more suffering involved or you know maybe she maybe she has to make a choice like whether you yeah. know, she chooses her career or chooses him um what's it going to be so and you know the results in the all the fallout from that decision you know maybe that's maybe that's a better way we, we can do the story but as as is i mean this <laughs> it's amazing that this has been remade three times and there's so many issues with the with the story it's not like a classic tale <laughs> yeah i mean that's why that i'm kind of interested to see how bradley cooper you know tackles this because i do think mm-hmm. in 2018 it's really hard to make a movie where suicide is the most noble act you can do (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) knowing what we know now and it also does seem like the 2018 version will be probably the most realistic depiction of what alcoholism looks like whereas opposed to the 1954 version in the first half at least it's kind of like played for laughs like oh what a goofball he's drunk again Mm. and uh in the, I guess in the 70s, as, as they go along, it does get better about, you know, tackling alcoholism and stuff like that. But I don't know. I can't square this whole, you know, like suicide as a noble act thing. I think that's really problematic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, in a, in a very, I think, problematic story, because following that, mm-hmm. um, the big triumphant ending, because it's, it's trying to, you know, bring out a happy ending out of this. <laughs> and what she, what ultimately happens the very denouement of the movie is uh esther blodgett will either perform in a big show or goes to a big hollywood premiere and she affirms i'm mrs you know norman maine or in this case like um i'm still esther esther norman after my late husband and i think that's that's also what it's trying to affirm is this romance which as we established is barely a romance because you can't squeeze it all into 2 hours so <laughs> exactly and also it's yeah. it's a relationship more marked by emotional turmoil than like anything else so i don't know why mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like trying to treat it like it's like oh it's a tale as old as time love as old as rhyme you know yeah <laughs> it is weird that she's been forced to change her name once before and at the end, it kind of reaffirms. It's like I'm Norman Maine. It's like yes, I'll never have my original name ever again. My original <laughs> identity is dead now. <laughs> exactly, and I think I, you, we can owe that to the the old patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> she should be fine that she shed that old Esther Blodgett you know, label. <laughs> She's dead. Gotten now. rid of her. Yeah, gotten rid of her North Dakota roots. Because um, yeah, that's a. Although I 
I think the 37 version is the original is still the best. Um, one thing it never, it only brings back the affirmative grandma who was again, supportive of her decision to be in Hollywood. And she encourages her when she's grieving her late husband says like, no, you got to continue this journey. <laughs> yeah. Also kind of weird problematic. <laughs> like, yeah. all right, he's dead, but we have to move on now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so at, at least in the latter two versions, like there's a, there's also a like triumphant, performance that leaves people happy i guess <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> even if the even if the 76 version ends with a really weird um, <laughs> uh the, like song that's basically that's basically out of the long uh, another like 70 70 minute prog rock you know <laughs> keyboard filled yeah that ending is definitely the worst out of all of them at least like the first two it feels like a triumph and it's like here she just immediately mm. goes back on stage and sings a song that has nothing to do with anything and it goes on for way too long and just freeze frame red credits roll and it's uh, like <laughs> yeah i don't know why you admire the 70s version so much <laughs> i it's just for just for its chutzpah okay. um, <laughs> again the costumes alone would make it memorable <laughs> Um, Barbara Streisand's Babs is um, uh, Jerry Curl mm. is also pretty memorable. <laughs> um, uh, the fact that Chris Christopherson is not a very good actor is also entertaining in its own right. Uh, and also, apparently, he didn't want to be there. He never even wanted to be in the movie. So I think that shows oh, no, in yeah. every single scene. <laughs> yeah, half of his lines are ADR'd, which I, I like. Either the sound recordist was out, or more like, or either the sound recordist was out, or more likely, um, he just wasn't delivering them properly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> At least I will say Barbara Streisand has a little more fire too in that performance, whereas um, uh, Janet Gaynor, you know, God bless her, Oscar-winning actress, is a little more like doting in the first movie. Not not a whole lot for her to do. I mean, in the latter half, it does become the Norman Maine show. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, in the '54 version, I just couldn't buy James James Mason as this creep. Um, (laughs) You're really hung up on James Mason. I am. I am. I hate. I hated the performance. I didn't like Judy Garland. You know, either. Because um, again, it's like another musical where we're just looking at her face. It's just a um, that kind of opening bit. Well, not opening bit, but um, the scene where they're just alone. Her and her band are alone in the lounge. It's just a static shot of just her face. And I'm like, let's let's hey, let's move around. Let's perform a little bit in this performance. <laughs> Greg, she's the star, okay? She's all the star. all eyes on me, camera on me at all times. <laughs> no, I'm Judy Garland. <laughs> If I can, uh, if I can borrow the parlance of uh, friends of Judy Garland, um, I will say uh, no. You're canceled, sis. And that's T. <laughs> what? <laughs> you're canceled? <laughs> I'm gay, and I've never heard of you're canceled, sis. <laughs> Isn't that what they say in no. Paul's Drag Race? No, or? they don't say that. They say okay. Shantae, you stay or sashay away. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Never mind. God, well, I you're... say she's canceled, what? and that's T. <laughs> No tea, no shade, no pink lemonade here, my friend, okay? Okay, all right, fine. <laughs> Nothing but love from my Judy, okay? Here's how my recommendations go. 1954, then the 1937. Actually, 1937 is kind of rendered moot by the 1954 version. And then <laughs> the 76 version. If you, 19, The 1976 version, if you need a laugh. Okay. Because well, it's very yeah. unintentionally funny. Yeah. I would say the 37 version is technically, the original is technically the best. Mm-hmm. Um, again, feels very classic 30s movie, like uh, better done as far as 30s movies go. Um, but the 76 version is most entertaining uh, for mostly unintentional <laughs> reasons. Okay. Yeah. And then the 54 version, again, I found repulsive. Um, wow. Terrible. Wow. Celebrates the patriarchy. Yeah. Get it out of here. <laughs> well, they all celebrate the patriarchy. Yeah, that's true. Point. Yeah. <laughs> they're, movies from the fi- they're movies from the last century. What do you expect? Mm-hmm. No, exactly. You in Hollywood's first true story, rising from the heartaches and laughter of a million minutes minute. Janet Gaynor and Frederick Marshall, a star is born, give you a Hollywood the world does not know. They ask for the first time what a strange question. What is the whole fear clutching at the heart of the lady? Barbara Streisand, Christmas Thomas. A star is born. Context. It's all about context. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Let's study up on the golden era Hollywood. <laughs> well, I mean, we've we've already looked at we've already given people three movies for the price of one, um, but we're not going to mm. end there, John. No, 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 no. No, we're going to end this episode like we do every episode, and that's with a big bright spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. 
It's Spotlight. We're the stars tonight. I wish a camera was on me. I'm in a songy mood. I wish a camera was on me because I literally did like a Marsha Graham there. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should pivot to video, Greg. Yeah. This is why we need to pivot to video. And speaking of pivoting to video, oh. I've got a YouTube channel I want to recommend. Okay, go ahead. Uh, it's probably like yours last week. It's one that's probably been around for years and everyone already knows about it, but I'm just catching up on it now. It's a YouTube channel called Defunctland. Oh, yeah. I've, I've seen these recommended. Um, mm-hmm. It is a fascinating subject, and I'm glad we have the internet to really um, bring us, in spite of every other issue we have with the internet, um, this is one of its few good points. <laughs> so Defunctland, for those who don't know, um, it is a kind of documentary series following, I think they initially started with just Disney rides that had long since been discontinued, but they've expanded their reach to other rides at other famous theme parks and then just theme parks in general. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they had a really recent episode where they just talked about, like, they started just talking about TV shows. Yeah, they're <laughs> they really branching about... out. Again, probably like, <laughs> yeah, like I, yesterday, I, or yesterday, um, last week I talked about <laughs> You Suck at Cooking, um, which is ostensibly a cooking show, but now the creative of that is also branching out into other areas and i guess that's the Mm -hmm. that's now the business model for youtubers well greg they keep demonetizing all these videos okay it's like it's you know i uh, there was this great article on um uh, polygon which basically put a fine point to it like youtube is just lyft and uber for except you can be famous one day <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> like you give up your time and hopefully you'll get enough money back to help continue doing it okay. hopefully mm. <laughs> um but yes it's a documentary series and it basically just gives you the whole history behind uh roller coasters or rides or theme park attractions that are now kind of finished and done and it's a lot of fascinating history and i oh, love uh, the sorry fact that sorry he's john just... if i can just uh, offer one example um oh okay yeah all right <laughs> just uh, offer one example this that's personal for you and i first time we went to disney world when we were what nine ten years old um mm-hmm. we went to a water park called hurricane harbor um that has mm. since closed down and is now just um sitting derelict in um <laughs> in orlando somewhere <laughs> just covered in exactly. covered in ivy and vines now <laughs> Just like Tom Sawyer's Island. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, I don't really think it's about kind of like capturing that. It's more about capturing kind of the history. Mm-hmm. Like one of my favorite episodes is talking about Action Park. And oh, I yes. Think, the, the infamous yes. Uh, New Jersey <laughs> New Jersey attraction. <laughs> exactly. And like if for people who know, like uh, last year, uh, Johnny Knoxville did a movie called Action Point, which mm-hmm. was heavily inspired by this. And it's just nice to get a context. And also it's fun to watch it because he takes a very fine point of view which is like this park should not be celebrated (laughs) this park was atrocious very poorly managed and completely unsafe for everybody who attended (laughs) and it's like it's nice that they're trying to wring like some nostalgia out of it but it's like no people died at this park Mm. like let's not celebrate that (laughs) but there's a lot of like and i will admit the the uh episodes about rides that were kind of a little unsafe or kind of a mess are a lot more fun than the Mm. ones that weren't because it is fun to kind of get like a fun reason why it was shut down instead of just like yeah it just stopped pulling in the guests so yeah they closed it down (laughs) okay so another uh interesting episode is uh son of beast have you heard of this one no okay so like the beast was like their world-class like record-breaking wooden roller coaster and eventually they wanted to do a sequel to it um shit uh i think it's like king's point or something like that some some park in ohio it's not okay, cedar point cedar, okay. but it's like yeah it's not cedar point mm-hmm. but it's it's one of those parks i wish i could remember but uh there's a great episode about like their kind of sequel uh roller coaster called son of beast mm-hmm. and it, it turns into like a whole expose on how they weren't you know <laughs> they tried to cut costs wherever they could they like there's points where you could find like find in the tracks like nuts that you could just screw free with your own hands it's like it's Ooh. very <laughs> You know, after enough complaints, like nobody died, so it's a little more fun than talking about it than Action Point or Action Park. But yeah, it's just really fascinating, and I just love all the archival footage that he's able to manage to find. Okay, like did you know Roller Coaster uses to advertise with prime time commercials? Like it's so weird. Yeah, I, well, I mean, they still do advertise. Like I, I occasionally see the the new like Twisted Colossus at Six Flags Magic Mountain here in uh, Los Angeles. But <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Actually, we wrote that last time we went. Mm-hmm. That is an amazing fucking okay. coaster. All right, so it was worth it was worth the investment they put in a TV ad. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Definitely recommend that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you ever go to Six Flags, Twisted Colossus, great, 
great ride. Nice. You get to do it twice. It's two tracks, so you get to do it twice. <laughs> okay, well, I, I'm glad to. I will explore that more because I think their latest one, as you said, was on a TV was on a TV show that was hosted by the Krat Brothers, who mm-hmm. you and I know from back back when we were really young watching PBS. They had a TV show called Krat's Creatures, and they're still just doing these different iterations of shows where they teach kids about you know uh, basically animals. Um, but this one yeah. was called like Zabumafu or something, and I think he just yeah it probably explores the the strangeness of that particular name and whatever else was going on there. Yeah, that one that episode's actually like very weirdly celebratory because you know he 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 plays up the fact that the Krats were just like boundless balls of energy that really just loved bringing the world of creatures to kids mm-hmm. like entertaining kids and yeah well you know, we're i mean john about... i'm still doing it technically <laughs> i got yeah that's true well i mean they're the the latest show that they've been doing is animated so it's not like they're going out or you know actually interacting uh, well with no cause it's because it's anyway, they're old because <laughs> yeah and it's too expensive it's yeah, too yeah. expensive oh and the animation like, isn't the I mean... original kratz creatures they were literally traveling to like africa and asia and stuff like that oh man oh like I... the fact that this was funded by pbs is actually pretty impressive yeah <laughs> Well, yeah. hence why they had to eventually go to Zabumafu, where you know they had like a actually the set itself. I'm spoiling it. The yeah. set itself was actually built in the lemur uh, habitat. Really? Is it? Yeah. So was, that, was that safe <laughs> for the lemurs? Is that... <laughs> yeah, because it was just you know a place for them to play. Okay. Like again, it was just like three walls, and the right. way they filmed is, it, it is felt that like an safe actual for house. the hosts. I mean, they're hosting a TV show with <laughs> technically animals in there. <laughs> It's lemurs, Greg. What, what are you afraid of? I, I, may, people may not know. I mean, of of my fear of animals in general. Um, I love I love nature. I love going for a hike. It's wildlife. I can't stand. It's unpredictable. We could pluck my eyes out at any second. Just no. Oh my gosh. Hence why you don't own any pets. No, heck, All right. No. <laughs> Nor do they scream while we're trying to record. So, Greg, Greg, come on. It's part of the ambiance. Mm. So anyway, <laughs> Defunct Land, go see it. <laughs> go check it out. Yeah. But Greg, what do you have to Well, um, as people know, our last, or two weeks ago was our 100th episode where we looked at our 100 favorite films. And I mm-hmm. put them in a spreadsheet and started playing around with data a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And that led me to, like, I wanted to see what the average, like, release date and running time of all my 100 favorite movies were. Um, and that led... Let me guess. A lot of 90s movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, the official release date um, average for all of my movies was December 10th, 1987. And that led me to Wikipedia and saw what movies were released on that day. And that led me to a movie that I saw um, that I recently rented that I had some interest in that I'd heard of but hadn't actually seen. And that is John Huston's adaptation of the James Joyce short story, The Dead. Um, or to give it its proper name, okay. The Dead. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> You're going real obscure here. Yeah, exactly. I, I am familiar with John Huston. I've never heard of this movie. <laughs> okay. No. Well, it's... Also, it's... 1987? Was that even a year? I'm going to have to check my calendar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not a great year for movies. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is a very... Because, again, it's based on a short story, so it barely clocks in at, like, 79 minutes. Um, oh. <laughs> but it's based on the James Joyce short story, which... Um, which basically ends his uh, Dubliners collection, um, which uh, his original publication, which uh, I guess made him famous or as famous as he ever was during his life. Um, mm-hmm. And it's about a um, husband and wife celebrating the Feast of the Epiphany, which is like January 6, 1904. Um, and so it's a very tasteful, I, I compare it to just a quiet, tasteful, maybe like masterpiece classic on uh, PBS. That's essentially what it is. I mean, um, it's not, it's, I I will say this, I mean, because it's just a costume drama and none of the characters are particularly uh, boisterous or anything other than the other than the drunk, um, other, other than the classic drunk um, named, named <laughs> Freddy. Um, um, and there are no stars, uh, stars in it other than um, John Houston's daughter, Angelica Houston, um, doing her best Irish accent. <laughs> um, and also, I just, you know, it, as probably the as is a problem with a lot of uh, literary adaptations like it's it's the writing stupid like <laughs> there's there's the famous scene from the short story wherein um our main character uh his name's gabriel is uh admiring his wife kate who's played by the beautiful angelica houston um well maybe not beautiful um let's say let's say what uh, <laughs> what is your problem <laughs> listen she played mrs adams for a reason she played morticia adams for oh, a reason <laughs> you're terrible <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, she's a gorgeous there's a long woman passage with lots of agency. <laughs> anyway, there's a long passage wherein he's uh, looking up at his wife at the top of the staircase, and it picks up, you know, and he can kind of elucidate on his thoughts. I mean, here it's just the guy looking up at his wife, um, and it's not properly explained because they don't share any dialogue um, to kind of expound on their relationship. So you do have that issue. However, again, it is very tastefully done, draws kind of those, um, the, what little conflicts they are, like... Um, the Freddie and his alcoholism and how, how much of his mother is embarrassed by him. Um, so again, it's very, like a very tasteful, quiet and efficient movie. Um, and if you do love James Joyce as much as I do, maybe you feel, feel you owe it yourself um, to see this, uh, see this to complete, complete uh, your fandom, let's say. Hmm. I don't know. I've already seen the piano, so it just sounds like the piano to me. <laughs> John, are you saying you don't like tasteful costume dramas? I will say the piano no. is probably uh, way more engaging. I mean, there's no violence in this in this movie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no one gets their finger chopped off. Nope. Um, spoiler alert. Greg, <laughs> I have I have Downton Abbey. Okay, I don't need like all my movies to be like oh state of the costume dramas. I want to see the family change over generation to generation. Okay. Wait, does Downton are they going to keep the house? I don't know. I don't... <laughs> Yeah, here I mean, there's there's no strong like goal that characters are working towards. Again, they're just trying to attend this, uh, or uh, you know, just enjoying this uh, feast of the epiphany, really. And um, the character comes to an epiphany, and I do I do like that that in those closing moments. Um, there's a again brilliant montage that uses Joyce's actual words. Um, you know, the snow falling on the living and the dead. Blah blah blah. Um, <laughs> Like that's that's wonderfully done. It's just the the rest of it is you know just stately, tasteful, and you know not and not super engaging, but uh, and boring, <laughs> no, boring. No, it's <laughs> those are other words for boring. Uh, Freddie Freddy lights up the screen. <laughs> <laughs> Donald 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 Donnelly lights up the screen. Um, okay. I'm still waiting for their adaptation of Ulysses, so I'm gonna hold off on any James Joyce <laughs> oh, adaptations yeah. until I get that. Okay. Well, and John, there was one in the '60s. What? Yeah. Get out. Yeah. You're thinking of um, Finnegan's Wake. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which is just a nonsense in the throes of somebody um, dying of uh, untreated syphilis, perhaps. Okay. <laughs> that might have been a bit scurrilous. I, oh, he might not have had syphilis. He was a huge fart fetishist, though. Oh. He loved his farts. <laughs> Who doesn't? He loved that. He loved that boofing. <laughs> We're not about kink shaming here at Aspiring Snobs, okay? So if that's what he oh, was no. into, that's fine. Oh yeah, yeah. We're sex positive here? Question mark. <laughs> well, you hate We're... furries, so that's. I... <laughs> You've made it that. I don't. Quite I clear. don't hate. No, I don't hate furries. John, they're a huge contingent of our listeners. Obviously, I love furries. <laughs> Next week, we'll be watching Robin Hood, the yeah. Disney version. <laughs> oh no, Zootopia, the other God. furry classic. <laughs> Where are all the movies for furries? I know exactly. That's why that's why um, Zootopia was such a such a refreshing thing. I mean, I remember that first ad. Like, they're animals, but they're people. What? <laughs> Crossing legs. Mm. <laughs> I know you see that bunny in just a little <laughs> in her in her uh, t- in her police uniform. Like, oh, you can <laughs> you can arrest me any day. Yeah, arrest Put me any time. Handcuffs. Handcuff me. Throw me over the car. Oh. <laughs> You can find all this great furry-related material when you follow Aspiring Snobs on social media. Yes. Again, we have a huge uh, furry following there. (laughs) You can follow us on Twitter. You can like our Facebook page. And if you want a more personal touch, you can always reach out to us at our email at aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. Yes, we're there to answer questions. We also take recommendations. Um, Again, it'll help us vastly improve on watching three movies a week. (laughs) (laughs) What other movie could we possibly do that's been remade three times? Exactly. Uh, I don't know. Wizard of Oz. I think there are technically four versions um, I'm until not... the ultimate one was made. Um, <laughs> but these are like these are like crappy silent. I versions. assume you're referring <laughs> to the Muppet version. <laughs> um, yeah. Speaking of uh, crappy versions, <laughs> what am, actually, what am I saying? It starred an actress who's as good as Judy Garland in some respects. Um, Ashanti. <laughs> How dare you? Remember? How dare you? <laughs> Everybody remember Ashanti? <laughs> no, you're horrible. You're a horrible person. You're so horrible. You're in charge of telling them what we're watching next week. Well, John, I think we're finally getting back to watching real movies, <laughs> and by real movies, I mean foreign movies that everybody loves. <laughs> <laughs> 
so we're going to be watching uh, a recent, uh, cl a classic of recent vintage, um, the 2000 French film Amelie. Amelie. Greg. Amelie. Who's Amelie? Anyway, <laughs> Amelie. You know what I'm talking about. Greg, you know I love to live tweet every movie I watch, and I can't mm. do that if I have to read subtitles, all right? That's why I don't like doing <laughs> foreign movies, okay? I, wa I watch movies so I don't have to read. Maybe we'll do the dub version. I believe Audrey Tattoo does her own also voice in the Ooh. dub version because she's speaking English very well. Excuse me, do you not know who Audrey Tattoo is? No. The only French actress <laughs> I know is Marion Cotillard. Because uh, she's in Christine Dario. She is, she is even more... Audrey is even more prolific than Marion Cotillard. No. Oh, be in any movie or whatever. Stupid rust and bone. Eh, boring. <laughs> Audrey Tattoo has got comedic chops. <laughs> okay. She's got dramatic chops. Oh, let me and guess. She's coquettish and mischievous, like all French films. <laughs> <laughs> no, she was, the, she was the the lead love interest in The Da Vinci Code. That's who she was. Oh. That's who, who you know her from. Oh, yeah. all right. Well, I mean, if she if she's jumping Tom Hanks's bone, I guess I gotta love her. <laughs> do they do they um get it on in that movie? That is a good question. I would have to read or care about the Da Vinci Code to give you that answer. <laughs> I don't think they do. I think they I think there's a mutual respect between them. Ah, okay, because they're two professionals. Okay, exactly. Yeah, because uh, Harvard uh, Harvard symbologist Robert Langdon. Um, <laughs> Respects women and the offspring of Christ. You weren't even trying. You weren't even trying to make that funny, but I couldn't help but laugh. <laughs> what do you say? It's, what, what's so funny about a Harvard symbologist Robert Langdon? <laughs> uh, well, tune in for that next week. Yes, and don't forget, Audrey Tattoo is the offspring of Christ. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you everybody for listening, and until next time. <laughs> Shoot, what's French? <laughs> Shoot. Shh. I love how you said that. Shoot, what's French? Is that a language? Is it a type of bread? I don't know. <laughs> oh my gosh, he's going to Google Translate. Yeah. <laughs> and until next time, continue a dispute. <laughs> I'm leaving all that in. No, you're not. Yes, I am. <laughs>